गुरुर् ब्रह्मा गुरुर् विष्णु गुरुर्देव महेश्वर गुरु शक्षात पराब्रह्मा तस्मै श्री गुरवे नमः I bow to Guru as Brahma, as Vishnu, as Shiva. In all his forms, Guru is Kali, Guru is Durga, Guru is Hanuman, Guru is Ganesha, Guru is all. He is also in you. And if you seek him inside yourself, you can become one with him. My mission in life is to try to help people to understand what he brought. I don't try to convert people to him or to his path. If I try to convert people to anything, it's to their own higher selves. I want you to know who you are in your own essence. But at the same time, I know that what he offered was valid, and my job in life is to represent that. So it's my job to let you know, and from that you can gain what you feel. If you, if you feel that this is your way, fine. But mind you, God is not sectarian. The one thing that the Guru, that God, and that I as their humble servant want to help you to find is the bliss of your own being. That's really what it's all about. But as a personality, my Guru was an amazing combination of strength and sweetness. And I'd like to talk a little bit about that today because uh, many people have misunderstood. When they read autobiography of a yogi, they feel his sweetness, they feel his devotion, his humility. They don't always get the sense of his strength. And it's really quite a shock to people when they hear a recording of his voice, I Paramahansa Yogananda, I'm praying for you, singing for you. Um, there's real power. I'll never forget a talk he gave in Beverly Hills about urging people to get together and live in communities because how can devotees find God living among worldly people where all the influences pull them down? It's really important for people who want to know who they are and want to know God it's important for them to mix with others who love God, to mix with people who hate, to mix with people who are full of jealousy and meanness and selfishness. People who mix only with those end up thinking that they're doing a beautiful thing if they help a little old lady across the street. There's so much more to the path than that. And uh, when you live with others, then what you find among other things that's really wonderful is that when you tend to be in sort of a doldrum spiritually, and everybody has those periods, dry spell, you can't feel devotion, it's difficult to meditate, your mind is restless, maybe you feel a certain tug which is subconscious from worldly desires which come out in your life in the form of moods and so on. What you find is that when others around you are wanting to help because they too are seeking that. Their natural impulse is to inspire or to try to inspire you to do that. It's wonderful to find friends, not friends who are just drinking buddies and you 
try to say something serious to them, and they say, oh, come on, have a drink. That's not friendship. But those who are there to help lift you when you slip, when you trip, as most people do sooner or later, at one time or another, it's a wonderful thing to be in a community of people who love and are harmonious. Such is the kind of community I have started. I've started seven communities. About a thousand people live in them. I would love to start communities like that in India because I know that although not everybody can live in an ashram, and by no means every ashram is as harmonious as the imagination depicts it, there's often bickering and gossip and judgment and I don't know, it's just human nature. But I have to say that in the communities that I have started, I can't remember, for example, a single meeting that broke up in disharmony. It's amazing the kind of harmony that's there. And it doesn't mean that everybody who comes has that quality, but either they change under the influence of sattvic people, or they decide this is just a bit too heavy for me. As I've often thought that if a, a arguing kind of woman were to go to hell, or to heaven, I should say, she wouldn't find it would hurt to her, it would be hell. No one to fight with, no one to argue with. We go where we belong, but honestly, in a community where people don't argue, where you don't see people fighting, where you find that it just isn't done to insult or gossip against, I have to say that this is real. I know it, I have lived it. I, we've been doing it for 36 years, and although not everybody can live up to it, those who stay, it's amazing how much harmony there is. People from all over the world, people from India, yes, too, but I'd like to start them here in India. Well, this too is what we're talking about. When we talk about the, the concept of what the Guru brought and this balance of love and strength and so on, without, it, without examples, it's not so easy. And one mistake that people make is to think, well, the Guru can be like that. He's a Guru. His answer to that one was when one disciple objected that he wasn't ready to do something the Guru was telling him to do, my Guru said, what do you think made me a Guru? It was by doing. You have to do, but with other people around you who are trying, it makes you think, well, of course it's possible. You know, if everybody in our communities were to go to a different city, work, in, a in an office, live in a suburb, and remained peaceful by meditating and so on, people would say, well, he's special because he's himself. But other people can't be like that. That's what they do with the gurus. He can be a guru. He can be saintly. He can be forgiving. He can be kindly and loving and all these things. But what about us? Well, that's one of the beautiful things about a, a community that you see many people doing that, and you begin to think, well, maybe I can too. Well, I'd like to read from this book, Conversations with Yogananda. <coughs> there was a song that my guru sang. Um, it was a song on behalf of the Divine Mother. 
I have the words right, but not necessarily the repetition right. Mukti dete pari, mukti dete pari, mukti dete pari, bhakti dete pari kogi. Oh, devotee, this is in Bengali. Oh, devotee, I can give you salvation, but don't ask for my love. Because if I give you my love, I give you everything. So, you see, the real message of the song is, therefore, ask for my love. Don't just ask for salvation. But when he sang this song, it was so heart-meltingly sweet. It brought tears of longing to the eyes. Ah, one thought for Divine Mother's love. Obviously, what the words meant, as I said, was don't seek me merely for salvation. Seek me for my love. It is easy to see that many women, especially, encountering such tenderness and sweetness in the Master's nature, must have looked upon him with motherly eyes. Yet his nature was at the same time extraordinarily powerful. For men, especially in America, it was often quite different. They felt challenged and even intimidated by the power that he emanated. Their masculine nature found it difficult to accept and adapt to such strength in another human being. Few men, as I said, perhaps especially in America, where independence of spirit commands respect and admiration, few men found it easy to be his followers. This probably was the reason he also attracted enemies. Though their enmity in every case was self-generated, he himself sincerely loved everyone. Of course, the truth is his, his strength challenged him to become real men, not proud and aggressive, but noble, fair-minded, generous both in victory and defeat, and above all strong in themselves. This is what it means to be a true man. But the false image of a man throwing his weight around like John Wayne in a Western movie, that's not what he wanted us to get. And unfortunately, too much in America is that kind of consciousness. You think of Humphrey Bogart with a cigarette. Yeah, you know, that kind of tough boy attitude. Well, he wasn't like that. That's not being a real man either. It's being almost a child trying to play like being a man. One thinks in this respect of Jesus Christ, whom the Pharisees opposed from the beginning, because even without speaking, he emanated so much spiritual power. It was a power incalculably greater than their own. The image many people have of the Master, one that has been projected perhaps by an overbalance in the number of women disciples, is of someone so sweet as to be almost cuddly. I smile when I think of his other side. He was lovable, certainly, utterly so. Yet he was also the very personification of power. And that power is something that we need to have in order to find God. Don't think God will come to you just if you're sweet and mild. Yes, you have to be sweet, and yes, you have to be mild, at least in the sense of harmonious. But you've got to have power. His persona, I remember there was a, 
we had a pilgrimage from our community, Ananda, down to Mount Washington. And one of the nuns was giving a story about our, my guru, our guru. And she was sort of laughing, giggling, as if, wasn't he sweet? I didn't like that. I thought he was so much more than that. I just worry sometimes when I hear people describe him only in those terms of silliness. People should understand what they're talking about. They're not projecting his funny little story. They're projecting the person. And he was never that way, really. He was, there was always a tremendous power in his words, in his sheer presence, even when he didn't say anything at all. You know, an odd thing, and this to me was a bit of a shock, I've mentioned that he lived in many different uh, lifetimes. A liberated master comes in many roles in order to help bring about big changes in the world. And so he was Arjuna. Arjuna had to fight the battle of Kurukshetra in order to help the country in many, many ways, along with Krishna, Yudhisthira, and the others. This was a divine war on many levels. And it's written in the Bhagavad Gita as the battle of um, the war between the inner and the outer. But there was the outer side also. He was also William the Conqueror. You know, it's interesting that both Arjuna and William the Conqueror were said to have the, been the only people at their time, in their time who were able to string the bow they had. Well, certainly both men were very powerful. But to me, I'll be honest with you, it was a bit of a shock. Because I'd grown up in, uh, under the English system of education, and I'd grown up thinking of William the Conqueror as one of history's great villains. Here I found he was my own guru. Well, that, as I said, was not so easy to take. Later, I, I came to seriously believe that I was his youngest son. But uh, that didn't make it easier or better for me at the time. I had complete faith in him, so I went and studied his life, and I found that he was a great man, much misunderstood. You know, you never missed Mass one day. This, for a Christian, was a sign of spirituality, just as Hindus would go to puja every evening, and perhaps even more serious in some ways, because you're receiving something uh, that is an outward symbol of actual communion. In an age of Great license. He was absolutely faithful to his wife. His only close friends were saints. He was a great man, a man of his word and a man of great power, but he lived in a cruel age, and he had to, if he had been sweet and mild, people would have run roughshod over him. So he had to do what he did. But he did it, and in the process, molded a whole country out of a lot of loose, warring barons, created that country which ultimately had the destiny to help unite the world. And by coming to in India, by coming to Africa, by coming uh, in colonizing different parts now, we may say in India, well, that was a pretty disastrous reign, but it was necessary at the time. And it helped to unite the world so that now, East and West, and the peace and spirituality of the West, East and the practical efficiency and know-how of the West, these two need for a higher age which we have come into to become united. There has to be a balance between the inner and the outer life.
he helped to establish that. And uh, so his role was a very important one, a very difficult one, one that no ordinary person could have fulfilled. Well, such was his power in this life, too. And you could see that there was something of William there in that great power. That's what many men, thank God, I, I was just happy to have his guidance. But many men were raised to be arrogant and independent, didn't like that. But he had both sides. And remember, if you really want to know him, you have to understood, understand both sides. Not just that sweetness, but that power. Power in sweetness, sweetness in power. All of this is what will help to bring us to a new age. We need that balance inside and outside. The merits and virtues of East and West, putting these together, we can create a new tomorrow, a better future, which I believe is what we are coming into today. Joy to you. When the dawn breaks and then the morning sends the sun high in the sky, who would hide from heaven's glory? Who would pass the challenge by? La 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 there's a morning for every nation when the sun's high in the sky. There's a time for every people to affirm their destiny. La 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 even so, all of us together can create a better land. Leave the post until tomorrow, it's for all who understand. There's a morning for every nation when the sun's high in the sky. There's a time for every people to affirm their destiny. La 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 Even so all of us together can create a better land Leave the past and new tomorrow It's for all who understand La 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 Leave the past a new tomorrow waits for all